Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. All right, guys, thanks so much. Fast Money does start right now live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square. I'm Scott Wapner in tonight for Melissa Lee. Our traders tonight, Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We do start with that big breaking story. Moments ago, Apple warning on its first quarter results. The stock is falling sharply after hours. Our Josh Lipton is at Apple headquarters where he just sat down with CEO Tim Cook in an exclusive interview. Stunning news to say the least. Josh. Yeah, listen, Scott, Apple coming out, revising that Q1 guidance, as you noted, uh, the stock dropping hard. They're now calling for revenue of about $84 billion, Scott. Remember, they had previously guided to $89 to $93 billion. I did have the chance to speak exclusively with Apple CEO Tim Cook about the quarter, the guidance. Take a listen. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. We appreciate it. Thank you for coming. Um, I want to dig right into the results, Tim, and mm-hmm. iPhone revenue specifically, because as, as you mentioned, that was lower than expected, and that accounted yeah. for, for the revenue shortfall here. And I want to dig in specifically to the trends you're seeing in China, mm-hmm. um, because you, you say something interesting, which it isn't just the economy there. It's also these rising trade tensions. What did you mean by that, Tim? Yeah, if, if you look at our results, uh, our shortfall is uh, over 100% from iPhone, and it's primarily in greater China. And so w- as we look at what's going on in China, the, it's clear that the economy began to slow there for the second half. And what I believe to be the case is the trade tensions between the United States and China put additional pressure on their economy. And so we saw as the quarter went on, things like uh, traffic in our retail stores, traffic in our channel partner stores, uh, the reports of the smartphone industry uh, contracting, uh, particularly bad in November. I haven't seen the December number yet, but I would would guess that that would not be good either. And so uh, that's what we've seen. And um, now, there are a lot of things we can do to, uh, turn our, to, to sort of turn our uh, business around in, in terms of the, uh, both in China and, and more uh, generally uh, across. We're focusing on, if you, if you look at iPhone more at a macro level, uh, the, the story on iPhone is in addition to the emerging market weakness, which is primarily in China, It's that uh, there's not as many subsidies as there used to be from a carrier point of view. And where that didn't all happen yesterday, for if you've been out of the market for two or three years and you come back, it looks like that to you. Uh, FX was a big challenge in the quarter. As uh, interest rate hikes have started in the United States, there's more foreign capital coming in. That makes the dollar much stronger and the the translation. And we knew that was going to be a factor. It affected us by about 200 basis points. Uh, And and then sort of in in addition to those two things, we started a program worldwide uh, where we dramatically lowered the battery replacement price. And so we, we have sort of a collection of items going on, some that are macroeconomic 
and some that are Apple specific. And we're not going to sit around waiting for the macro to change. I, I hope that it does, and I'm actually optimistic. Uh, but we're going to focus uh, really uh, deeply on the things we can control. And let me, in terms of things perhaps that are a little bit out of your control, though, Tim, I, I just mm -hmm. want to touch on yeah. China specifically yeah. and go back to that. Because the trade tensions are having an effect you're seeing on the economy there. But, but do you see evidence that perhaps Apple's also getting caught in the crossfire? In terms of, uh, is there evidence that Chinese consumers say, you know what, there's this dispute, there's tension, and they're taking out on Apple in some way as well? Well, I... Certainly, uh, Apple has not been targeted by the government, and so let, let me t take away any kind of doubt of that uh, right up top. There are reports, uh, sort of sporadic reports, about uh, somebody talking about not buying our products uh, because we're American, maybe some, a little bit on social media, maybe a guy standing in front of the store or something. My, my personal sense is that this is small. Uh, keep in mind that China's not monolithic. Just like America's not monolithic, you have people with different views and different ideas. And so do I think anybody elected uh, not to buy because of that? I'm sure some people did. But, but my sense is the much larger issue is the slowing of the economy and then this uh, the trade tension that's further pressured it. And, and have you talked about, given that this is a headwind and, and, mm -hmm. and more than you expected, have you talked, I'm just interested, to President Trump or members of the administration, this is a big, important American economy, and you're saying, listen, this trade dispute is really impacting our business. Have you, have you recently talked to those members of the administration and, and conveyed that? You know, I'm, I'm telling our investors first about what we saw uh, last quarter, and, and that's, that is the way it should be. Uh, but I've had, obviously, many, many discussions over uh, the course of many months to, to be constructive and to give sort of my perspective on trade and the importance of it to the American economy as well. And uh, I, I, I feel like I'm, that I'm being listened to in, in that respect. And so I, I'm actually encouraged by what I've heard uh, most recently coming from the U.S. and from China and uh, hopefully we'll see some changes. But given that those trade tensions, Tim, mm -hmm. um, they do remain heated, um, given the pressure you're seeing, you're speaking to traders, investors, and business people now, in the quarters ahead, how do you then navigate this? Well, you, you, you focus on what you can control. And so when, when I look at this, I say, uh, you know, there's some weakness outside of China as well. I would have liked to have done better in some of our developed markets. And so how can we do that? Well, the subsidies have, are, are fewer these days, that's true, but we can start, uh, or we have started a trade-in program. And we started it primarily because it's great for the environment. You know, it keeps a unit with someone that, that wants it and the person who wants a new one gets one as well. And it's great for developers and, and so forth as well. But, but we haven't really marketed it very much. And the truth is, to a consumer, the trade-in looks like a subsidy because it lowers the price of the phone that you want. And so just let me give you an example of that. And so the, the, the retail price of the uh, iPhone XR in the United States is $749. Uh, but if you happen to, to, to trade in a 7 Plus, which many people are in order to, to get that, the price goes all the way down to $449 or less. And, and so there's a substantial benefit, economic and environmental, from trade-in. We're also working on uh, placing uh, ability to do monthly charges in. 
And so it begins to look like more the traditional way of paying for it through the carrier by, you know, taking the, the rates out for, for 24 months or so. And so you wind up getting an incredibly new phone that's so much better than what you've had for $20, $30 a month or so. And, uh, and so we're doing that. We're also uh, putting a lot of focus on the service side. Our stores are unbelievable at service. And the, the ability, people are very worried about transferring their data. You know, they're very worried that this new phone, there'll be something that they lost in the process. And so we're, we're putting a lot of emphasis on doing that and doing that well. And so those are just some things. The other things uh, which are not different than we thought, but did affect our revenue in the quarter, are things like we had some supply constraints. We had an unprecedented number of new products during the quarter. We had new watches. Uh, we had uh, new iPad Pros. Both of these were constrained for all or most of the quarter. Did you think, I mean, looking back, do you think, yeah. um, do you, think you try to introduce too much new too fast? Uh, no, I think you, you, you know, our, our style, Josh, is we release things when they're ready. And, and I think that's the way it should be. If, if you ever start worrying about cannibalizing yourself, you can talk yourself into not doing both things. And so our, all of our products were ready over that period. Now, would I have liked uh, some of them to be ready a few months earlier? Of course, I would always like that. But, but generally, we're, we're, we're still going to you know, march down the road of, of uh, shipping things when they're ready. And let me ask you, Tim, with this release, investors mm -hmm. get a lot of information and metrics. But yeah. a, as you guys spelled out, listen, there's going to be some changes in disclosure. You're not yeah. going to get the number of iPhones shipped anymore. You guys don't see that as a relevant metric so much as in the past. Um, if that isn't the data points that investors should be focused on, what are the data points yeah. that investors should focus on? That's a good on? question. Look, what we did years ago, actually with Apple Watch, We've never disclosed units on watch. Why? It wasn't just because we were secretive people. It's that we looked at this and you, the watches were wide range in terms of pricing. We knew that eventually we would have a cellular watch. There's a stainless steel versus an aluminum. Uh, there's even an addition. And so you begin to say, what value is there in adding these things up? I've made the comparison. It's sort of like you and I going to the grocery store and putting things in our cart and coming up to the register and the person saying, how many you got? It doesn't make sense to add them together anymore because the price ranges are so wide. So we didn't do it on uh, watch from the beginning. We've never done it on iPod. As we now step back from the, from the phone, we have phones being sold in the emerging markets, uh, like an iPhone 6S, for around $300. And so you've got a range from $300 to $1,000, or, or in some cases over $1,000, depending upon your selection of, of, of uh, uh, flash and so forth. And so this thing has lost its meaning. And so we felt that at the end of the day, uh, we were giving investors and sort of pointing them to something as if it had this incredible importance to it well beyond what it does. That doesn't mean we're never going to comment on units again. If we think that we can better explain results with talking about units, I'd be glad to say something about them. But, but generally, to have it on a, you know, every 90-day clock of releasing this, I, I, don't, I think it does the investor a disservice, frankly. But now we are making additional disclosures as well. Like, for example, we're going to give the gross margin of our services business. 
You know, we've never done that before. Services has uh, grown, you know, an incredible amount. Uh, we're over. We're going to have over, report over 10.8 billion, and when we report later this month for last quarter, that's a new record. And what what drove that? To many color games, that well, App Store was it music? This what? is this is uh, this is incredibly exciting for us because so many things hit records in there. The App Store did. Apple Music hit a new record. Apple Pay hit a new record. Our uh, search ad product from the App Store hit a new record. Uh, iCloud hit a new record. And so, uh, you know, it's very wide. And each of the geographies, uh, geographies hit a quarterly record. So even in China, the App Store hit a quarterly record. Why is that? It's because it's driven by the installed base. And our install base uh, grew, uh, you know, nicely year over year in China as well. And, and as I say in the letter, uh, we picked up a hundred more million active devices over the last 12 months alone. So th this is an incredible number. And I, we'll have, we've got some interesting things in the pipeline uh, on services and of course we do on products as well. And uh, so that's sort of another way to uh, grow the company. A final question here, Tim. You, you yeah. say you're going to end the quarter year $130 billion in net cash. That's right. Um, you know, Apple has a history. You, you mm -hmm. do um, a lot of acquisitions. They tend to be those smaller. Mm -hmm. um, biggest was $3 billion for Beats. Um, do you think maybe, given that cash position, um, would Apple be open to maybe shifting how it thinks about acquisitions and doing acquisitions that maybe investors would think are bigger or more meaningful? You know, for, for us, uh, we've never changed our view on acquisitions. We've never said, thou shalt not buy a big company, or thou shalt not buy a medium company, or it has to only be in this country or that country. We've always looked at it from a strategic point of view and asked, what does it do for the customer? What does it do for the user? And so the vast majority of ours have been technology and people that we think would bring a better user experience, that there's a feature or something that, that we could do in the future and that they could help on doing that. But that doesn't, I, I've always been very clear, is we look at, at many, many companies, including very large companies, We've elected so far not to do those because we haven't found one that we say, wow, that's a, that's a nice intersection with Apple. But I'd, I'd never rule it out. Um, we, we do have a lot of uh, net cash, and I believe the, the company's uh, stock is an incredible value, and, and so uh, you, you can bet that uh, we're going to be buying some stock under the plan that we've had out there for quite some time. All right, Tim, thank you so much for your time today. You were generous. We Thank you. It. It's Thank good you. to talk to you, Josh. Thank always. you so much, sir. Yep. So, Scott, hearing some of the bottom line uh, here for Tim Cook in that interview, listen, there were some big themes um, that they just didn't see coming. They miscalculated. You heard it there uh, talking about China, um, the economy slowing in China, maybe more than they thought, the rising trade tensions. Cook saying they're feeling the pressure from that, too. Um, not just China, though. He also talked, you heard there about those developed markets, iPhone upgrades, developed markets, not as strong um, as they thought. A few reasons for that they rattled off. Um, fewer carrier subsidies, U.S. dollar 
dollar strength. They did also, and you heard Cook there mention it, services. They call that a positive result in the in the quarter. Their words that services in all time record revenue, ten point eight billion dollars. You know, one thing to think about though is the, is the relationship between iPhone and services. You know, there's plenty of analysts um, who will argue that the iPhone franchise at least has to stay stable, and by stable they mean flat to slightly up. Um, if you're going to see that continued momentum in services, so that relationship now also a question investors have to have, Scott. Yeah. Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton uh, with that great interview with Tim Cook. Uh, let's open it up to the floor and talk about this, Dan. Let's take a look at the stock as well uh, as it continues to move after hours on this stunning announcement. Apple yeah. cutting its guidance and, and it's a huge cut. What do you make of it? Uh, absolutely shocked that 60 days after they gave that guidance that they don't have the visibility in one of the largest regions that has one of the best growth profiles. Um, you know, year over year, China was up 16 percent in the quarter that they reported uh, on November 1st. And th- their lack of uh, visibility on that, I just think, is really interesting for um, it was 18 percent of the quarter. So to me. You couple that with the fact that they just changed the way that they give guidance. They said, we're not going to report units. Um, I think there's some funky stuff going on over there, um, and it's not particularly good. Uh, and it, it is likely to see its way through for a few more quarters. It, it's just disappointing to hear Tim Cook, who I, I think embodies corporate governance, and I think this company um, is so important to markets right now. By the way, we're seeing possibly how disproportionately important it is to markets, but we'll get to that in a second. It, that it's doing investors a disservice to give guidance on, on iPhone shipments? I mean, h- how can we say that? Uh, two months, as Dan's pointing out, after the moment where that was, it's never been more important. He said this is 100% iPhone and it's basically China. Don't we need to know shipments? And that's disappointing. Yeah, and, and so that's the problem, right? You could have said, and I have said it, that Apple botched that announcement with, with uh, not having the, the uh, units out there anymore. You might have passed that off and said, okay, they made a mistake, and let's give, it, give them a pass on that. But now you have to question what's going on behind the scenes. Is there something else there? And I think investors are going to take a bit before they kind of trust the company again, and that's going to weigh on the stock. So, so Guy, uh, Tim Cook, you heard him there at the very end of the interview. He said that our stock is an incredible value right here. Uh, they mentioned buying back shares, and they've already been a, a huge buyer of their stock. Is it an incredible value here? It's interesting, right? I mean, I thought it was incredible value $70 ago. I think a lot of people thought that as well. I mean, valuation has been a reason to own it forever, effectively. And now we're at levels where people are making the valuation argument. But I think the guys bring up a good point. Is it a credibility credibility situation now? And quite frankly, I can only speak for myself, but you probably, I should have listened to Skyworks a month or so ago, Micron a month or so ago, Acorvo, when they said smartphones were slowing down. Now you wonder if Micron has to re-guide and if Skyworks has to re-guide. To Tim's point, what he was getting at, the trickle-down effect it has in the broader markets could be staggering in terms of where the cues are. You're seeing that now. I, mean, I, I can't even believe I'm, I'm going to ask this question, but has Apple gone from a stock that was simply pulling back with the overall market to a, a falling knife? Apple, of all these stocks, people are going to be afraid to touch well, it here, down, you know, there's down 7%. There's been a couple instances over the last 10 years where this stock has had peak to trough declines of about 45%. So we're going almost getting there. What was it, uh, 230 or something like that? I mean, it hasn't been abnormal. The difference is, is it's leading the market this time. It was actually able to kind of have those corrections as the cycles changed. Think back to 2012, well, think back to 2015, yeah. 16. This has happened. And those, and during those times, you could argue that those were Apple specific. But everything that Tim Cook mentioned is everything the market's been worried about: trade, 
rates, dollar, all of those things are macroeconomic issues that they have no control yep. over, and that could broaden out to the rest it of the world. It doesn't sound economy. to me like an overnight but issue by any stretch. No, we could be talking issue. about this for a long time. I think, Scott, you're, you're also maybe getting to the point that, yeah, it's macro, but it's also micro. I mean, they, they talked about battery costs, and they talked about different parts of you know the upgrade. They also talked about it's, it's a micro issue when you talk about the upgrade cycle doesn't allow for the subsidization of these, of these iPhones. It's a very big issue. But remember, we are talking about a hardware company. We've seen hardware companies drop like a stone before, um, companies that look to be bulletproof. I, I don't think that this is that falling knife moment, Scott, so I still well, do like the services hold income. On. So 60% of their sales are hardware, and it's always been the iPhone company, right? So they're right. talking about a 38% gross margin. They own all of the profitability in the entire smartphone market, okay? But here's the thing. In China, they are number three in market share behind Samsung, Huawei, we know that name, right? And then it's Apple, and then it's Xiaomi. So they've been losing share domestically to Asian OEMs, the hardware makers. And then they have one other thing. This is really important. WeChat, okay? So when you think about the uh, ASP, the average selling price of an iPhone, when they reported last time was 793 bucks. They're making these bigger phones, right? That is a massive percentage of the per capita income in China, right? Okay, those other phones, the Android-based ones, they are about a third of the cost. So then all of a sudden, you look at these services like WeChat, okay, Tencent Music. That's what Chinese consumers are going for. For right now, so they're not as concerned about upgrading to that fashion statement of iPhone anymore. That's been going on for two years now. But, but let me let me. So I agree. I think we just have said that. So yeah. how about though? They are going to have record services profit. They are actually in some of these smaller businesses, whether it's Apple Pay, whether it's Apple Music. I, they're not reasons to go out and buy the stock. But the bottom line is record profits in in a services company that at least they believe that's where they should be. And they still got 130 billion dollars of cash on yeah. a market cap. You got it. Yeah, but you, you have to. Reason, your point, though, you got a reason for me to buy the stock tonight with this pullback of uh, uh, no. 11 bucks, yeah. 7 7 And that's the problem is that is this peak profits then, right? Because the entire thesis of this is that, yeah, they're going to grow iPhone sales and it's going to increase and their installed base is going to grow, but then they're going to be able to extract revenue off that. If your installed base is slowing or stalled or stopped, then you have to reevaluate what the thesis for the company is. And I think that's going to take a couple quarters for investors to digest if, that. If Cook is worried about the impact in China of this trade fight, and then you have our trade rep, Lighthizer, today saying that additional tariffs may be necessary to get China to strike the kind of deal that the administration really wants. Okay, what is that going to yeah, mean so, so to for all, question, all of these companies that are being negatively impacted by China's slowdown? So the question you asked, that Brian answered is, is there a reason to buy it? Okay, so I can give you, I can play the other side of it. I can give you reasons to buy it. Does this force the hand now? of President Trump and President Xi, a company of this magnitude making comments like this. Maybe there is some deal that's going to be made. That would be market positive. And the two biggest buyers of Apple have been Apple. And what does Mr. Buffett say about Apple tomorrow? Because i got to believe somebody's on the phone asking him his opinion right now. So there are some... There are potentially some catalysts to the upside should, tonight. Should we be surprised by this, though? I mean, I, Dan, I, I hear you almost being somewhat affronted by this news today. I mean, we, we no. were told two months ago that emerging markets, China, and FX were bad news for The announcement for a itself, so, maybe not. The scale and size, that's absolutely. The scale. I don't, I don't that's think the any, stunning part, wouldn't I, you say? I, I don't think anyone it's a, it's a huge cut in revenue. guide is, is, is a big deal. Um, but I, I, I kind of got the sense that going into their most important season, this is what they were telling us. They had some insight into that. And, and let's be clear. I mean, this was a $230 stock. It's corrected down to the mid-140s. Um, and I think you've, you've had a market that's priced in a lot of pain.
Yeah, I just think that when you think about um, this company that is selling a premium product, primarily focused on China, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about China. There are these other macro implications. We're seeing this right now. Um, You know, listen, I I just think that the surprise here isn't that they missed. Okay, the surprise, like you just said, Scott, is the magnitude of it. These are not one quarter fixes. I mean, this is going to take a while to work itself through here. So I do not think that you have to go buy this stock at 140 bucks. It just doesn't. There's there are better opportunities right now in the market where there's going to be more clarity sooner. For more on all of this, let's bring in Gene Munster. He of Loop Ventures, of course. Gene, uh, Dan Ives called this a dark day for Apple. Is that how you see it? Yeah, it's a dark day for Gene Munster, too. This is one of my (laughs) predictions for best uh, performers in FANG in 2019. Uh, Scott, I still stand behind that despite this uh, pullback here, in part because I feel uh, an element of deja vu as I listen to the conversation here and think back to 2008, 2009, when some of the economic slowdown started to impact Apple. It had an impact in different geographies. It also started to lengthen out the upgrade cycles. I want to give a nod to Tony Sakanagi, who has talked a lot about these lengthening upgrade cycles and how that impact could impact Apple. But the big picture is this, is people largely, there is the shift that Dan was talking about in China, about WeChat and some of the cheaper competitors. But on the whole, Apple's brand continues to be strong. And on the whole, we continue to need tech. And so I agree that this is going to take some time for investors, probably a quarter or two, for investors to kind of regain some element of confidence that may take a full year. But I'm confident that this is not the beginning of the end of Apple. I think that they still have some huge opportunities ahead, in particular what's going to happen with 5G, and that's going to be a major uh, hardware upgrade. And I think that the conversations of the next few months will be a thing of the past. But isn't it an issue? You just mentioned 5G, but there's been reports out that Samsung and a lot of their competitors are going to have 5G phones ready in the fall, yet Apple is going to miss this cycle, Gene. Isn't this kind of an issue right here? They can miss it by several months. I don't think that they can miss it by a year. So we're going to wait and see. The, the other part, too, is having 5G phones, I need to give a little bit of clarity there, too, Dan, is that uh, 5G right now doesn't have a ton of coverage in the U.S. I think that broadly we're thinking 2020, 2021 is when the coverage ramps up. So there is a window for them not to have that feature, and it's not necessarily a competitive headwind, but they clearly need to be there. This is a major upgrade. I'm not trying to look at the, the silver lining down the road here, but what I'm trying to do is give some perspective that uh, China was bad. Uh, the, these upgrade extended or the, the lack of subsidies that Tim Cook is talking about, that's nothing new. I was disappointed to hear Tim talk about that because that's been going on for two years. Uh, but I think the China thing is real. I think when he talked about what's going on on social media and WeChat uh, related to Huawei and the CFO, I mean, as crazy as that sounds, I think that that had at least a fractional impact on what we're talking about but here. To be, to so, be clear, uh, I do believe. To be clear, I'm sorry, Gene, if, if you were still. Uh, a sell-side analyst, and you were giving research out on this, you'd have a strong buy on Apple tonight on this pullback? I would. And the reason is this, is that I think that right now we've priced in uh, the bad news. I think the bad news is in here. I don't think that there is anything structurally wrong with Apple's, and I can disagree with some of the people on, on set there, but I don't think that there is anything structurally wrong with Apple and what they're, what's going to happen with their market share. The fact that they gained 100 million users over the last year, I think is evidence that the services theme will be intact. 
Josh, incredible interview that Josh had there. One thing that I picked up that Tim said is that they're exploring ways for people to buy on a monthly basis. So they're talking about adding their own Apple subscription. That may just uh, be the iPhone. That may be other products, too. So, uh, Scott, I am still a big believer in this. I think that Apple over the next few years can earn a consumer staples type of a multiple. I still believe this can be a much bigger stock, potentially $350. So as crazy as that sounds on a day like today, I think that uh, all the news doesn't rock my uh, confidence in this longer term, uh, the theory. It will take time, but it, it doesn't change the longer term. Hey, Gene, it's Tim. How about your confidence in the supply chain and just stocks that have already been knocked down? I mean, what do you do, again, as an analyst in this space to the rest of the space? Supply chain is really tough, in part because uh, you're seeing the effects of what happens with global trade and uh, uh, loosening economies. Uh, but also you have the issue about what, who Apple wants to do business with, too, that adds just a layer of complexity. So, Tim, I'm going to stay outside of that and not make any recommendations on, on where to go with that. But I do uh, uh, feel that uh, directionally what they're trying to build around a, a more of a services hardware, a hardware business that operates like services is still intact. Hey, Gene, do, do, you, do you think there, you know, there's somewhat of a floor in the stock simply put in by the fact that you know, and he alluded to it, did Tim Cook with, with Josh at the end of the interview, they're going to be big buyers of their own stock? Yeah, I want to be careful on the floor idea. I think Dan said it earlier. Is, uh, felt like it would have been in higher. I agreed with that. Um, you know, so but I can say that Apple still, even with these depressed numbers at 84 billion in revenue, eight percent off from what people are expecting, they're still going to be able to, to probably buy back close to 20 billion dollars. Let me leave you with one other just quick thought. As I'm thinking through this and doing this real time, yep. I, I think there's this, this piece about this price increase that happened in September. Is 23% was the average weight price increase. I think that consumers, at least in China, aren't taking that price increase. So I do think we're going to enter a, a, a phase where we don't clearly don't see those big jumps in uh, pricing. I would see if Apple is more aggressive actually at discounting to use this as an opportunity to gain market share, I would actually view that as favorable. Gene, not easy to do this on the fly, as you said, but we greatly appreciate you doing that for us tonight. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Gene Munster, Loop Ventures. You agree? Strong buy tonight. Uh, no, I don't agree with strong buy. No, I mean, if, if anything, what Guy hit on is that how much of this is priced in, right? So as a trader, you have to evaluate there is a certain amount of this that's priced in, a certain amount of the economic weaknesses that is priced in. You can make the argument that all these negative things are ultimately going to turn around, and this pushes people into a situation or countries into a situation where they have to make a deal. If that is the case, and if you believe that and the market picks up on that theme, then maybe, yeah, you can nibble at Apple, but I think there's better places to be than Apple. I think Apple's a no-touch until it works through this problem. Let me uh, just bring you a, uh, an email that I got from Jeffrey Gundlach, who says this is the kind of stuff that happens in a bear market. Okay, as we broaden out the conversation to how tomorrow and the days ahead are going to look as a result of a company like this delivering the bomb that it just dropped. So now this is going to sound disingenuous. It's not intended to be. But if we had started a normal show tonight, what I was going to say was, you know, the S&P traded back to this sort of 2530 level, which was a huge support level, seemingly has failed. And I thought we'd make another retest down to that 2300 level or so. Now it sounds like I'm Monday morning quarterback, but I think it sets up exactly that way. 
How do you believe in sort of earnings for the broader market when you're hearing commentary not only from Apple today, but to, to, from your tweet on December 18th? A PPG, a FedEx, a Micron, there's a laundry list of companies. Well, it, remember, remember when, from a market perspective, we said, oh my goodness, thank goodness Apple's holding in here. Um, and, and now Apple may be the poster child of everything that has changed. And again, if you ask me, um, who liked Apple yesterday at these levels, what changed today? Um, so clearly demand is weaker than forecast. The services business is going as fast as I could want it to go. Um, and is the market in a place where I want to own it? And to me, no, the market is not in a place where hey, you want to own it. Guys, Gene said something that's really important. The Chinese carriers do not offer subsidies the way that the U.S. carriers do. So the fact that Tim Cook mentioned that um, the subsidy situation hasn't been helping us out, it just seems like they're throwing a lot of stuff up against the wall that it just seems a bit disingenuous here. And I think the other point's really, this may turn out to be one of the biggest unforced errors ever. What did Gene also say that they've raised prices on their phones 23% year over year into what could be one of the most sharp declines in economic Which was mitigating, right. The ASP was mitigating. If if you're just joining us home from work or just tuning us in now, 5.30 on the East Coast, the bombshell tonight from Apple, that company warning on its Q1 revenue guidance, taking it down to $84 billion, that from $91.5 billion. Uh, It is a stunning move from one of the biggest stocks, once the biggest stock on earth. Now, what, maybe in second place behind uh, Microsoft. The stock's been down about 30% or so in the last three months and only adding to those declines tonight. The man who watches the charts closer than anybody, as you know, is Carter Worth of Cornerstone Macro. He's standing by at the plasma with a look at uh, where this could go from here, uh, what the charts are telling him. Carter? Sure. Well, I suppose anywhere the imagination will allow. But let's talk about reference points. Uh, When you plunge, you can see the plunge. There's really nothing to interpret. Uh, It's just news hits straight down. But there is something, and you can see that here. I'll zoom it in. You can see how we've stopped trading. After the initial drop, we've basically frozen. And there is a reference point. The lows on Christmas Eve for the market and for Apple, in this case, 146.59. And here it is at 146.55, 146.60, meaning it has found those prior lows. And now there are people that are stepping in. Other people are continuing to sell. So we've reached a reference point. But longer term, of course, that's the bigger uh, story. So let's see if we can pull back and find uh, some insight into a longer term chart. What we know is that Apple doesn't really have support until you get back to the highs of 2013. So uh, from my point of view, what we would all say is there has to be this, a break in trend. Now, if I clear that and then try to put this line on the tops, that might give us some reference point as to how much more this could drop. And basically, uh, those highs come into play around 135, which would be maybe 7 to 8% lower from where it is now. That's a perfectly reasonable price objective. I'm going to do the cues. I'm going to quit. Keep this in mind. Burn this on your retina. Remember those tops. Now look, and this is the bigger issue for the market, look how far the cues are from their highs. Meaning, if I did this same exercise and drew this line, the, this is nowhere near. And that's the risk, meaning the spillover effect. Apple has had more of a drawdown, down almost 40% now, where we know that's not the case with the general tech market. Presumptively, this could get worse in line with Apple. Yeah, Carter, thank you. Carter uh, Worth, uh, Cornerstone for us. With the cues tomorrow, 
Watch out. Well, the cues, the cues, as Carter pointed out, still on a relative basis to themselves have some room to go. Remember, we started this day talking about China, right? I mean, this day was all about China macro overnight that got their PMI the lowest in 17 months in contraction territory, four major economies in Asia in contraction territory. So the, the dynamic of global growth, and I would go back to the market, I mean, 263 in the 10 year, I mean, we're, we're, we're trading as if this market is slowing down fast. And remember, this was guidance on Q1, their fiscal fourth quarter, um, their, their fiscal Q1, their fourth quarter, their best season. We are waiting for companies to deliver good news for this market. That's not a good start. And, and this is the most important. But is it fair to say, guys, that like, you know, when you think about just this, this cut, I, you know, we're going to have numbers cuts across the board. This is a company that's supposed to have $61 billion in net income in fiscal 2019. So when you're thinking about S&P earnings for 2019 and what that growth is going to be, this is a massive hit. We've already seen Facebook take a huge chop, right, to, to their 2019 estimates. You really have to extrapolate this. And I just want to make one point. I know that some of you guys have talked about maybe this has pushed uh, Xi and Trump closer together. Global markets don't turn on a dime. They can have an announcement here, and these economies are not going to start re, uh, reasserting themselves that quickly. So this is a first half 2019. Which thing. are the um, suppliers are you going to? We haven't even, I don't think Sky we can. Broadcom, Skyworks, Texan, right? Texas Texan. We throw up some of those. Semi, guys, please. I mean, that's, well, that's a, well, a so story point, in and of itself as well that, itself is, that you're so going to have to follow tomorrow. Look right. at these. And what, look and at Lumentum, right? I think that's right? a great question. So a lot of these companies have already guided lower. The question is, and which I don't know the answer to, will they have to guide lower again? I mean, on valuation, some of these stocks are still expensive. We actually had a conversation saying the other day talking about how Micron's probably more expensive now at lower prices than it was $10 or so ago. It's somewhat counterintuitive. So you might have to see a re-guide lower from the Corvo, Skyworks, Broadcoms, Qualcomm. Uh, and I, I wouldn't well, yeah, focus Taiwan's just family. on techno, too. I mean, to Dan's point, if this is a multi-quarter economic slowing, who has China as their largest customer? Europe. And they already have a slowing economy there. So you could see other companies. You could see industrials fall on this. You could see anybody who has exposure to both APAC, Asia Pacific, and Europe fall on this news if the market extrapolates that the China slowing is going to last for a long time. Yeah. Throw up Glue, uh, mobile GLUU, uh, supplier of apps, games, things like that, Jable, JBL. All of these names are going to be front and center uh, tomorrow as you start to dissect exactly uh, how this is all uh, going to play out in, in the months ahead if Apple is in the penalty box for an awfully long time. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, it goes back to how much has this been priced in, and it appears by action this afternoon or this evening that we still have a little bit right. more to go on this. So maybe Apple hits 136, then you start looking at the at Here, Here's the really good news as we head into Q1 earnings season, that if you get some of these big ones out of the way early and the markets actually, you know, kind of take it in stride, then you're set up obviously pretty decently to rally out of it. So the worse we get early in January as a continuation of the volatility we saw in December, then all the news in January. January is basically priced in because I doubt but you're going to see too many $700 billion companies have guidance as bad as Apple just no, printed. There's not, there's not a lot of them out there, Dan. I, yeah. I would just say 172.50 on S&P earnings right now, which is consensus, is in trouble. And, yeah. and, and I've been saying this, look, 7% earnings growth on S&P uh, in a static environment is, is where we were on that call four months ago, five months ago, even with some pullbacks. I, that to me is the whole point. Markets are cheap. 
but they can get cheaper. Uh, and on a trailing basis, every strategist out there is telling you how cheap we are. This is exactly where you went going into big pullbacks. You know, I remember market. that day. Uh, you made a great point, Guy, earlier about the two biggest buyers being Buffett and the company itself. I do remember uh, when Becky was last interviewing uh, Buffett, I think the day that he was going to host the lunch for the, the person who had, had won the lunch uh, with him. Uh, and and she, I think she asked him about Apple, and he said, well, I'd love to buy it cheaper. Uh, and you do have to wonder, at what point does the, the Buffett um, organism itself, right, that whole big of Berkshire Hathaway, step in, take a look at what the shares are doing tonight, down uh, you know, more than 7%, and say that you know, we already have the truck full? But maybe we can't pass this up. And then the Cook backstop as well of buying back more well, stock. I think they buy back more stock than anybody. Remember, Charlie Munger wanted to buy more, right? There was an interview on CNBC where Charlie Munger was upset with Warren Buffett that he hadn't bought more. So maybe they do step in. Maybe maybe Carter's 136 level, which is the breakout from before, maybe that's the place where you start to see these people nibble, where they start being greedy when others are fearful. Yeah. All right, coming up, we're going we're gonna to have full coverage of Apple throughout the hour. The company warning on first quarter results. We just heard exclusively from Tim Cook moments ago. Plus, we'll tell you the other names the warning is taking down after hours. Started sharing some of those with you just moments ago. We're live tonight from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Much more Fast Money is coming up. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. As we look at what's going on in China, the... It's clear that the economy began to slow there for the second half. And what I believe to be the case is the trade tensions between the United States and China put additional pressure on their economy. And so we saw as the quarter went on uh, things like uh, traffic in our retail stores, traffic in our channel partner stores, uh, the reports of the smartphone industry uh, contracting. Uh, particularly bad in November. I haven't seen the December number yet, but I would, I would guess that that would not be good either. And so uh, that's what we've seen. Now that, of course, Apple CEO Tim Cook sitting down with CNBC's Josh Lipton for an exclusive interview moments after the company warned about its first quarter. Mr. Cook citing weakness in China in particular, as you heard there, for the slowdown. Shares are down more than 7% in the after-hour session, taking the Nasdaq and a number of other stocks down along with it. If you think it's just a tech story, it is far more broad than that. Take a look at some of the industrial names. Very key in the U.S.-China trade talk story. That's Caterpillar, Boeing, among the industrial stocks that have been so sensitive to any development coming out of China. And these are the stocks also that we need to keep an eye on. This yeah, is a bigger yeah. deal than just Apple and China. Right. This, this, is, this is the case that it broadens out. You look at 3M as well. They get a lot of revenue, not only from Asia Pacific, but then again, Europe. So these multinationals. If I had a look at a silver lining with the industrials, if for some reason we get a weaker dollar, which it looks like we are against some things, against the, the, the yen right now, that might help these guys out. But in general, you're talking about economic slowdown in China that's going to hurt 
uh, going to hurt Boeing, Caterpillar, 3M, you name it, pick it, it's going to be a problem. I wonder as well, sorry, Tim, yeah. um, you know, the administration, I'm reminded of the interview that, that Larry Kudlow did on the halftime report where he said there was no end in sight. Those were his words uh, on October the 12th, talking about this economic boom that we've been in. Did they not expect, think that their trade war with China was going to have this sort of impact on the global economy and some of these companies like Apple this quickly? I, I, I tell you what, it, it's clear that there was a sense that either um, it wasn't going to have that impact, Scott, or it was something that actually was going to be very transient. And, or and that China was going to capitulate right off well, the bat? Well, I think, and, and I think we've heard a lot of analysis on just, you know, who sized up who better in terms of Trump versus Xi. Um, the bottom line is, uh, if you listen to a Caterpillar, and this is maybe what's concerning, if you listen to Caterpillar management, and, and recently management was out there with some guidance, they believe that their end markets are either in early or mid-cycle outside of a Turkey or an Argentina, which we know are going through bad times. Look, you saw PMIs around the world this morning. Again, China 49.7 contracting for the first time in 17 months. Europe was in line, but it was at 51 and a half on PMIs. Um, the bottom line here is that as asset prices fall and as CEOs begin to cut back on spending in CapEx, that feeds through to markets. And in fact, it's somewhat circular in, in, in the other way as well. And that's what we're Tim, seeing. Tim, don't you think it's interesting with Caterpillar in, in particular? So consensus for 2019 is for 10% EPS growth on 7% sales growth. The stock trades at the lowest PE that has traded in almost seven or eight years. It's telling you that investors don't believe that guidance. So we've gotten to a point. It goes back to your question, Scott, about Apple. Was anyone surprised by the by the by the miss? No one was surprised by the miss. They were surprised by the magnitude of the miss and the timing of the miss and the lack of visibility. And so, when you think about a caterpillar, it's really hard to think with like two thirds of their sales, let's say outside the U.S., how they are not going to have a guide down and how this stock is not going to be trading at single digit PEs at some point in this cycle. If you were trying to convince yourself that we were simply in the midst of guy a you know, a correction that we just haven't felt Glitch. in a long time. Uh, trying to make the case that this wasn't a full-fledged and longer-lasting bear market. That case harder to make tonight? Well, it's significantly harder. My case has been this. I, I think the last seven or eight years, the, the flood of money from central banks has absolutely accounted for more than half of the rise in the stock market. And when global central banks are now taking money away, they're reducing their balance sheets almost across the board, there are ramifications for that. By the way, I happen to think they're doing the right thing. I think this Fed is the first time since Paul Volcker is actually doing what we should be doing, a much different conversation. But I think to the guy's points, there is a chance now, given this news, you're going to have to see companies like Caterpillar guide down. And at nine and a half times forward, PE is actually telling you that they're going to have to guide down. The, the, the question is, are we talking tonight, and I realize Apple is an important, Apple's the catalyst for this conversation, and we're having this kind of existential conversation. Are we talking about sharply slower growth, or are we talking about recessionary signals? And, and, and that, that to me is what well, this comes down to. I think the jury is, is out, and the, maybe... Um, Maybe the jury's going to come back quicker than we thought with the answer or the verdict. I, on I, that, I think will. what you said, quick, quicker than everybody expected, is the key here, right? We all thought that, okay, you're, we know there's going to be some weakness from a trade war. But we thought, hey, if we can get through it and it's better on the other side, let's put up a little bit of that economic weakness. But this happened a lot faster than I think the market expected. And that's the difference here. I, I think Jeffrey Gunlock's comment to you is really interesting. I go back and think of last, uh, the last top in 2007. Cisco had a broad warning in November of 2007, and it pre, you know predated all of this stuff that we are starting to see. If you go back and you look at that, go back to summer of 2000, 
LSI Logic had a big pre-announcement. Okay, so the, when you think about this, you think about where the supply chains are, and you think about um, you know the, their kind of exposure to this global um, tech thing. This is kind of right in those uh, sort of things. So when you hear a Gunlock make a comment like that, I think it's pretty well. And, and we've talked about this on the show. I mean, we talked about it the day J and J came out. We okay. talked about it when UNA. I mean, leadership in the market in in seemingly. Uh, not technology, not crosshair trade war companies um, is has been the disappointing part about the last, call it two months. It's not just FedEx anymore and certainly not the semis, which we lost in July. It's falling off the leaderboard and, and J&J, the headline was asbestos in, in talcum powder that, that arguably was already out there and yet look at happening. UNH, we will all argue, I think, that, that healthcare EPS is probably as bulletproof as any sector out there in this environment, yet UNH has gone from basically 285 down to 235, rallied a bit. But again, this is a leadership stock. And we're 40, quickly, we're 48 in, minutes into the show now, and we haven't talked about bond yields and yield curves that well, are flat. The 10-year was at 264. An, an alarming rate. And so, you know, okay. if we, you know, well, I mean, the point is. I didn't make my well, point emphatically you, enough. You weren't emphatic what you in the commercial yield break. I don't really know. The point is, I mean, that's yes. been trying to tell a story now for quite some time that maybe no the doubt. market's listening. Look, does this put a nail in the tech trade? I don't know how you can make, how do you make a positive case for tech? When you're getting such well, a large so percentage the, the, the of your, positive case your revenues is, from overseas. The positive case is that everything they talked about, the dollar's going to get weaker because the Fed is unlikely to raise rates uh, and potentially, potentially you get your tariffs. Yeah. Now, listen, it's a weak case. I see you shaking your head. I'm not saying it's a very strong case. It is weaker than it was yesterday. If I had made this argument before this Apple earnings, I would have been a little bit, a lot more bullish than I am today. But the question is now is, you know, is it is it too late now? Yeah, I mean, but you're going to hear a lot of people say that, oh, well, well, what about all these companies that actually don't, like, you know, Google are not in China. Amazon is not in China. Hey, all these small cap stocks, which, oh, by the way, well, have been in their own bear market. 2000, I mean, but, but I think you have to think They're about the... They're in the biggest glitch of anything, But, no, but the, the, but the QQQ, QQQ when you think about it, the NASDAQ 100, you guys were just talking about, is so much further to its, you know, closer to its highs than, let's say, some of the components. If you lose Amazon and Google and we well, already lost Facebook, I think it's important to remember that uh, advertising is one of the most cyclical things that you can have in any economy, and we have not seen a year over year drop in that. We may see it in Facebook, but if you see it in Google, that's what's the next leg in the NASDAQ 100. Key level right there, um, watching Amazon as well. I've seen some notes in the past you know, couple of uh, days saying that anything around $1,500 a share for Amazon's a gift. I wonder if you have to start to rethink well, these <laughs> levels in, now in, for big technology yeah. stocks like the Fangs, the, which are all going to get brought down. Yeah even yep. further to earth by, by this Apple announcer. And if you're looking within Fang, um, as, you, as you point out, Apple and Netflix are pretty glaring in, in how you know, high they went up, but how they are holding on to more gains because they had more of them. But you can make an argument that those two components of Fang um, still have a lot of room to Yeah, but to, it, to it really is about MAGA. It's Microsoft, it's Apple, it's Google, <laughs> and it's Amazon. We know the it really is. It's not the, the, not the political virus. I'm talking about those four stocks, okay? <laughs> What's really important here when you think about it is they all have issues. You know, ironically, Apple was the single largest beneficiary of that tax cut from a year ago. The single largest beneficiary. And look where we are when you bookend year over year where Apple is right now. Wouldn't you have thought that this was going to be an amazing Why thing? Why would this thing is largest beneficiary. Well, because all the cash that they had overseas and the, and the amnesty that they had on that. And then as far as their profits, their, their, uh, their corporate tax rate going down, you don't think they're the single largest? I'm not, I mean, I'm just curious. $230 billion I don't, think in sales? That, I, don't, I don't think that Apple was an outsized winner. And that was the reason for the, the maybe the pulling forward some of that outperformance. They were able, hold on, over the last five years, they bought 300 or $200 billion dollars worth of stock back. They've been borrowing it, split hold on, like they've been borrowing at zero. They, they, they raised $140 billion in stock. They've retired 
entire $200 billion worth of shares because they were able to borrow at nothing. Then they get this gift right. of a 21% tax rate and a repatriation rate of 10%. They were the single largest beneficiary of the tax cut. In absolute terms, but not in relative terms. And, and I would just argue that Apple, well before we got the tax cut, was doing what you said. They were doing capital markets engineering as they were essentially doing bond swaps where they were raising money and bringing, you know, effectively money here back to investors. I, my, my simple point was... I wanted to make sure you weren't saying that actually they're even more prone to a fall here based upon how much they gained in an no, outsized I mean, way. But Apple is closer to the end of this sell-off than any of the others. I mean, Microsoft hasn't had I, the hit. They're I, right I, I in the middle. That. They actually have the that. most exposure when you think about IP theft and that sort of thing in China. So if this thing gets pushed out, it could be a bigger issue for Microsoft. Let me, uh, let me step away for a quick break. We're going to give you more of our exclusive interview with Apple CEO Tim Cook coming up. We're also going to have special coverage into the 6 p.m. hour critical because you're going to get your first look at futures. You're going to see exactly how the overall market is taking this stunning announcement tonight, this guy down from Apple. We are back right after this. As uh, interest rate hikes have started in the United States, there's more foreign capital coming in. That makes the dollar much stronger and the, the translation. And we knew that was going to be a factor. It affected us by about 200 basis points. Uh, and, and then sort of in, a, in addition to those two things, we've started a program worldwide uh, where we dramatically lowered the battery replacement price. And so we, we have sort of a collection of items going on, some that are macroeconomic and some that are Apple specific. And we're not going to sit around waiting for the macro to change. I, I hope that it does. And I'm actually optimistic. Uh, but we're going to focus uh, really uh, deeply on the things we can control. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Okay, welcome. We are back. Uh, we are approaching just minutes away from the futures opening. You're going to get a real uh, first look at how the markets may open uh, in the morning after that stunning announcement from Apple. The other thing to consider clearly as we lead up to the futures, uh, the S&P, what, 40% of their profits come from overseas? Yeah. yeah. And, and so you're getting a real uh, eye-opener from no. a company like Apple. For sure. Now, I, I will point on the other side of this, they're talking so much about the FX headwinds. Everything we're hearing, 
uh, means that growth differentials around the world are contracting. And Brian's talked about this. Uh, the, the dollar is not going to be their enemy in the next couple quarters if we continue to get this kind of a global backdrop. But in terms of where the S&P makes their, you know, hay uh, when the sun is shining, uh, and we talked about this. I mean, I still don't think you're getting to 172.50 uh, anytime soon on the S&P. And the scary thing is that the street hasn't really downgraded yet. We've had every strategist comes in here and tries to click by the what he claims is, and he, the proverbial he or she, is, is someone that says, I've lowered my targets because the market is lower, but everything else stays the same, so I have to structurally come down every, a bit. Right. Nobody's cutting S&P earnings. Every single S&P target from a major strategist on Wall Street, uh, ending the year, looking ahead to 19, was higher than the market was at that, at that particular time. Every single right. strategist but when they cut, is still But they're positive. not saying we even, cut because it's gotten worse. They're, right. sorry, they, they're saying we cut simply because the S&P is 400 points lower, so now it's going to be impossible for us to get to 3,100. Not because the environment has changed and because we're more concerned about earnings and because uh, CEOs have actually said that we're cutting back on spending and because the global growth story has changed. And that's, that concerns we, me. We've asked the question so many times. I know, you know we have at noon, and I know you guys have here and, and everywhere else, too, how important Apple is to the overall market how much Apple's performance matters to the market. You're going to find out in less than two minutes. God, Not just in terms over. of well, the math, yeah. but in terms of the psychology. I'm talking about yeah. everything, and mostly the sentiment and psychology. And so quickly, you know, you talked about a recession, and I asked this question. I don't think I know the answer. I have my views, but does a recession cause a stock market sell-off, or does a stock market sell-off cause a recession? Because when 73% of this economy yes. is driven by the I'll consumer, yeah, I mean, and the consumer starts to feel a little skittish, so it's the wealth effect, right? So basically 5% of the wealth effect is, is consumer spending, or consumers spend 5% of the wealth. So as the stock market comes down, that's 5% off of consumer spending. So you keep going down, you the stock market can cause yeah, a recession. Tim and I double-boxed this like two months ago when I said we already saw wow. it in housing, then we saw it in autos, and now we're seeing it in $1,000 iPhones. Yeah, I mean, when you, you had see seen this, it in it semis. Makes, what, no, it, it, it just makes a lot of sense. I mean, there is a segue in this sort of thing. So, you know, we peaked at iPhone units. They're just never going higher. They've gone down basically for three years straight. That's what they're telling us with this guide right here. So, I mean, And it's a shame we can't get to a double box tonight because I think there's enough emotion here that we would get it to a, well, an exciting place. The good but, news is because we are going for another <laughs> hour, we have plenty of time to work in the double box. If right. not, the Octobox, depending on. on the number of guests wow. that are booked within the next can hour. Can only hope. Can, can I ask, but a guy raised a really important point. we got point. 20 seconds, okay. by the way, so until simply, we get our first financial look assets as a percentage of at, GDP at couldn't be higher than they are right now. I am concerned about that as well. Yeah, I, again, I think it comes back to Apple. It's not just Apple sentiment-wise, but think about what Apple said. They also said the rest of the world is slowing. So it's not just an Apple issue. That's why this is going to filter. That's why this news is more important than just Apple. Yeah, you, you don't, you know, sometimes you don't get a huge move in the futures right when they open. Obviously, thinly traded and can be fairly volatile, uh, but you do. Uh, can we see that again, guys, if we can put that back up there? Uh, you, you will uh, get at least an indication of where the sentiment is right now by virtue of, of where Apple is, that stock's own decline, and the fact that it's drawing tech down uh, really across the board. NASDAQ uh, uh, would have a decline of about 2%. Dow about 1%, I'm, I'm being told. S&P 500 about 1% uh, as well. So that's the instant reaction, as, as we've underscored for, for all of you so many times. Thinly traded, uh, they can be quite volatile. Sometimes what you see overnight isn't the result at 9.30 in the morning when the bell rings on Wall Street. But nonetheless, this is a pretty good representation, uh, Dan, of, of where things look 
by virtue of this stunner. Yeah, so we talked about tech. We've talked about industrials. This is a disaster for financials, for bank stocks that have actually underperformed for the last, what, 12, 13 months or something like that. I mean, I think you can keep drawing lines to other parts of our equity market here where this is just not good news for. So, um, you know, to me, I thought it was interesting today. There was some outperformance by financials, by energy. People thought they were just kind of too beat up, looking to take a shot early in 2019. And when you think about those companies, they're kind of at the eye of the storm. If we're talking about global synchronized weakness, here. Those are the areas that I think you're going to continue to see weakness into 2019. You've had about 160 or so point rally in the S&P 500 from that, I think, Christmas Eve it's low about 7%. to where we are now. Yep. So you wonder, are we going to give that all back? I'm of the belief that we will, that we will retest. So we talked about it earlier this week with Tyler on New Year's Eve that although it looked like a textbook V bottom, it just felt too it just felt too um, contrived to me for it to be a bottom. And I think we're going to retest it. I don't know if it happens tomorrow, but I think it's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Get stunning moves in some of the other areas of the market, too. Currencies, you guys yeah. have taken a look, look at, at that dollar-yen. Dollar-yen. I mean, dollar-yen would suggest that the S&P should be down about 3% tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, this is a massive move in the currency markets. Dollar-yen, Aussie dollar hitting a 10-year low. I mean, these are big, big moves in currency. Dollar-yen is at its lowest level since, um, you know, late March. Yeah. Uh, I see it down about three and three quarters percent as we continue to watch that side of the story. There are many facets of sort of what the, uh, the residual impact is from from what Apple did with their guidance. And, and Tim, the overall um, market reaction is somebody who watches the globe yeah. as closely as anybody. Well, I think there's very interesting cross currents going on. And again, the traders are behaving differently than the investors here. And it'll be interesting to see if, if we, you know, we get that intraday spike down. Remember, this is the first trading day of the year. A lot of people still aren't really back to their desks. Um, and, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the market digests this. My guess is we're not only going to trade lower in the morning, we're going to probably need to see Europe close before the U.S. market's going to get its legs about it. But the rest of the world, Scott, to your point, actually has been significantly, I don't mean a little bit, I mean significantly outperforming the S&P uh, really over the last couple months. And we, we sat on this desk for, for many months saying, how could the U.S. continue to defy gravity if this is a global synchronized economy? Well, guess who's outperformed the S&P by about 1,200 basis points since October 1st? It's, it's emerging markets. China, by the way, was actually up today. Emerging markets were actually up today. Um, Russia, which has been getting crushed um, why? Because of the oil market? Not so much, actually. Russia's outperformed the S&P by 20% over the last three months, with oil down 29%. So um, I think there have been a lot of moves already, let's be clear. And, and, and I just at least want to weigh in. This doesn't all happen overnight. Um, and I think that equities have priced in a lot of pain. Um, I, I think nobody is surprised that China um, printed below 50 on their PMI this morning. Uh, if you are, you haven't been watching the direction of where every economic data point has been going. I'm also reminded of the likes of, you know, Kramer, um, who for many weeks, if not months, had been saying um, that he was hearing from, from people that the business climate was slowing and somewhat dramatically, um, a large part because of, of the global slowdown and what was happening in trade. Um, the question is tonight, Jay Powell, are you listening? Right to Tim Cook, who gives this exclusive interview, uh, really incredible to Josh Lipton, who's out in California uh, helping to uh, cover this stunning news of Apple and this warning, Josh. 
Yes, Scott, uh, stunning is absolutely right. Apple coming out and surprising investors with this news, revising Q1 guidance lower. So they're telling investors now to expect revenue of about $84 billion. Let's just quickly put that in context. Remember, Apple had previously guided for between $89 and $93 billion. So a big miss there. I did have the chance to catch up and chat exclusively with Apple CEO Tim Cook to talk about the quarter, the trends and themes he's missing. Take a listen. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. We appreciate it. Thank you for coming. Um, I want to dig right into the results, Tim, and mm-hmm. iPhone revenue specifically, because as, as you mentioned, that was lower than expected, and that accounted yeah. for, for the revenue shortfall here. And I want to dig in specifically to the trends you're seeing in China, mm-hmm. um, because you, you say something interesting, which it isn't just the economy there. It's also these rising trade tensions. What did you mean by that, Tim? Yeah, if, if you look at our results, uh, our shortfall is uh, over 100% from iPhone, and it's primarily in greater China. And so as we look at what's going on in China, the, it's clear that the economy began to slow there for the second half. And what I believe to be the case is the trade tensions between the United States and China put additional pressure on their economy. And so we saw as the quarter went on, things like uh, traffic in our retail stores, traffic in our channel partner stores, uh, the reports of the smartphone industry uh, contracting, uh, particularly bad in November. I haven't seen the December number yet, but I I would guess that that would not be good either. And so uh, that's what we've seen. And um, now, there are a lot of things we can do to, uh, turn our, to, to sort of turn our uh, business around in, in terms of the, uh, both in China and, and more uh, generally uh, across. We're focusing on, if you, if you look at iPhone more at a macro level, uh, the, the story on iPhone is, in addition to the emerging market weakness, which is primarily in China, it's that uh, there's not as many subsidies as there used to be from a carrier point of view. And where that didn't all happen yesterday, for if you've been out of the market for two or three years and you come back, it looks like that to you. Uh, FX was a big challenge in the quarter. As uh, interest rate hikes have started in the United States, there's more foreign capital coming in. That makes the dollar much stronger and the the translation. And we knew that was going to be a factor. It affected us by about 200 basis points. Uh, And and then sort of in in addition to those two things, we started a program worldwide uh, where we dramatically lowered the battery replacement price. And so we we have sort of a collection of items going on, some that are macroeconomic and some that are Apple-specific. And we're not going to sit around waiting for the macro to change. I I hope that it does, and I'm actually optimistic. Uh, But we're going to focus really uh, deeply on the things we can control. And let me, in terms of things perhaps that are a little bit out of your control, though, Tim, I, I just mm-hmm. want to touch on yeah. China specifically yeah. and go back to that. Because the trade tensions are having an effect you're seeing on the economy there. But, but do you see evidence that perhaps Apple's also getting caught in the crossfire? In terms of, uh, is there evidence that Chinese consumers say, you know what, there's this dispute, there's tension, and they're taking out on Apple in some way as well? Well, I, certainly uh, Apple has not been targeted by the government. And so let, let me t- take away any kind of doubt of that uh, right up top. There are reports, uh, sort of 
sporadic reports about uh, somebody talking about not buying our products uh, because we're American, maybe some, a little bit on social media, maybe a guy standing in front of the store or something. My, my personal sense is that this is small. Uh, keep in mind that China's not monolithic. Just like America's not monolithic, you have people with different views and different ideas. And so do I think anybody elected uh, not to buy because of that? I'm sure some people did. But, but my sense is the much larger issue is the slowing of the economy and then this, uh, the trade tension that's further pressured it. And, and have you talked, all, given that this is a headwind and, and, mm -hmm. and more than you expected, have you talked, I'm just interested, to President Trump or members of the administration, this is a big, important American economy, and you're saying, listen, this trade dispute is really impacting our business. Have you, have you recently talked to those members of the administration and, and conveyed that? You know, I'm, I'm telling our investors first about what we saw uh, last quarter, and, and that's, that is the way it should be. Uh, but I've had, obviously, many, many discussions over uh, the course of many months to, to be constructive and to give sort of my perspective on trade and the importance of it to the American economy as well. And uh, I, I, I feel like I'm, that I'm being listened to in, in that respect. And so I, I'm actually encouraged by what I've heard uh, most recently coming from the U.S. and from China and uh, hopefully we'll see some changes. But given that those trade tensions, Tim, mm -hmm. um, they do remain heated, um, given the pressure you're seeing, you're speaking to traders, investors, and business people now, in the quarters ahead, how do you then navigate this? Well, you, you, you focus on what you can control. And so when, when I look at this, I say, uh, you know, there's some weakness outside of China as well. I would have liked to have done better in some of our developed markets. And so how can we do that? Well, the subsidies have, are, are fewer these days, that's true, but we can start, uh, or we have started a trade-in program. And we started it primarily because it's great for the environment. You know, it keeps a unit with someone that, that wants it and the person who wants a new one gets one as well. And it's great for developers and, and so forth as well. But, but we haven't really marketed it very much. And the truth is to a consumer, the trade-in looks like a subsidy because it lowers the price of the phone that you want. And so just let me give you an example of that. And so the, the, the retail price of the uh, iPhone XR in the United States is $749. Uh, but if you happen to, to, to trade in a 7 Plus, which many people are in order to, to get that, the price goes all the way down to $449 or less. And, and so there's a substantial benefit, economic and environmental, from trade-in. We're also working on uh, placing uh, ability to do monthly charges in. And so it begins to look like more the traditional way of paying for it through the carrier by you know, taking the, the rates out for, for 24 months or so. And so you wind up getting an a incredibly new phone that's so much better than what you've had for $20, $30 a month or so. And, uh, and so we're doing that. We're also uh, putting a lot of focus on the service side. Our stores are unbelievable at service. And the, the ability, people are very worried about transferring their data. You know, they're very worried that this new phone, there'll be something that they lost in the process. And so we're, we're putting a lot of emphasis on doing that and doing that well. And so those are just some things. The other things uh, which are not different than we thought, but did affect our revenue in the quarter, are things like we had some supply constraints. 
We had an unprecedented number of new products during the quarter. We had new watches. Uh, we had uh, new iPad Pros. Both of these were constrained for all or most of the quarter. Did you think, I mean, looking back, do you think, yeah. um, do you think you try to introduce too much new too fast? Uh, no, I think you, you, you know, our, our style, Josh, is we release things when they're ready. And, and I think that's the way it should be. If, if you ever start worrying about cannibalizing yourself, you can talk yourself into not doing both things. And so our, all of our products were ready over that period. Now, would I have liked uh, some of them to be ready a few months earlier? Of course, I would always like that. But, but generally, we're, we're, we're still going to you know, march down the road of, of uh, shipping things when they're ready. And let me ask you, Tim, with this release, investors mm -hmm. get a lot of information and metrics. But yeah. a, as you guys spelled out, listen, there's going to be some changes in disclosure. You're not yeah. going to get the number of iPhones shipped anymore. You guys don't see that as a relevant metric so much as in the past. Um, if that isn't the data points that investors should be focused on, what are the data points yeah. that investors should focus on? That's a good on? question. Look, what we did years ago, actually with Apple Watch, We've never disclosed units on watch. Why? It wasn't just because we were secretive people. It's that we looked at this and you, the watches were wide range in terms of pricing. We knew that eventually we would have a cellular watch. There's a stainless steel versus an aluminum. Uh, there's even an addition. And so you begin to say, what value is there in adding these things up? I've made the comparison. It's sort of like you and I going to the grocery store and putting things in our cart and coming up to the register and the person saying, how many you got? It doesn't make sense to add them together anymore because the price ranges are so wide. So we didn't do it on uh, watch from the beginning. We've never done it on iPod. As we now step back from the, from the phone, we have phones being sold in the emerging markets, uh, like an iPhone 6S, for around $300. And so you've got a range from 300 to 1,000, or, or in some cases over 1,000, depending upon your selection of, of, of uh, uh, flash and so forth. And so th this thing has lost its meaning. And so we felt that at the end of the day, uh, we were giving investors and sort of pointing them to something as if it had this incredible importance to it well beyond what it does. That doesn't mean we're never going to comment on units again. If we think that we can better explain results with talking about units, I'd be glad to say something about them. But, but generally, to have it on a, you know, every 90-day clock of releasing this, I, I, don't, I think it does the investor a disservice, frankly. But now we are making additional disclosures as well. Like, for example, we're going to give the gross margin or services business. You know, we've never done that before. Services has uh, grown, you know, an incredible amount. Uh, we're over t we're going to have over, report over $10.8 billion and when we report later this month for last quarter. That's a new record. And what, what drove that, Tim? Any color games? Was that well, App Store? Was it music? This, is, this, is, uh, this is incredibly exciting for us because so many things hit records in there. The App Store did. Apple Music hit a new record. Apple Pay hit a new record. Our uh, search ad product from the App Store hit a new record. Uh, iCloud hit a new record. And so, uh, it, you know, it's very wide. And each of the geographies, uh, geographies hit a quarterly record. So even in China, 
the app store hit a quarterly record. Why is that? It's because it's driven by the installed base. And our install base uh, grew uh, you know, nicely year over year in China as well. And, and as I say in the letter, uh, we picked up a hundred more million active devices over the last 12 months alone. So th this is an incredible number. And I, we'll have, we've got some interesting things in the pipeline uh, on services, and of course we do on products as well. And uh, so that's sort of another way to uh, grow the company. A final question here, Tim. You, you yeah. say you're going to end the quarter year $130 billion in net cash. That's right. Um, you know, Apple has a history. You, you mm -hmm. do um, a lot of acquisitions. They tend to be those smaller. Mm -hmm. um, biggest was $3 billion for Beats. Um, do you think maybe, given that cash position, um, would Apple be open to maybe shifting how it thinks about acquisitions and doing acquisitions that maybe investors would think are bigger or more meaningful? You know, for, for us, uh, we've never changed our view on acquisitions. We've never said, thou shalt not buy a big company, or thou shalt not buy a medium company, or it has to only be in this country or that country. We've always looked at it from a strategic point of view and asked, what does it do for the customer? What does it do for the user? And so the vast majority of ours have been technology and people that we think would bring a better user experience, that there's a feature or something that, that we could do in the future and that they could help on doing that. But that doesn't, I, I've always been very clear, is we look at, at many, many companies, including very large companies, We've elected so far not to do those because we haven't found one that we say, wow, that's a, that's a nice intersection with Apple. But I'd, I'd never rule it out. Um, we, we do have a lot of uh, net cash, and I believe the, the company's uh, stock is an incredible value, and, and so uh, you, you can bet that uh, we're going to be buying some stock under of the plan that we've had out there for quite some time. All right, Tim, thank you so much for your time today. You were generous. We Thank you. It. It's Thank good you. to talk to you, Josh. Thank Always. you so much, sir. Yep. So there you have it, Tim Cook, talking about this revenue miss and what explains that. And as you heard there, um, really talking about some of the pressures that that iPhone franchise is feeling in two areas. One, you heard him talk about China, slowing economy there. You also heard, interestingly, talking about um, the trade dispute between the U.S. and China and his opinion, how that's impacting the Chinese economy. You also heard me ask him, uh, given that, listen, given that this is a big, important Amer American company, has he conveyed that to President Trump and the Trump administration? administration, uh, Cook saying that he has conveyed those opinions and felt like he's being listened to by this administration. Wasn't just China, though, when it comes to iPhone. You also heard him talking about developed markets, that iPhone upgrades were not as strong as they thought they would be. A few different reasons for that. He talked about fewer carrier subsidies and U.S. dollar strength. Uh, he also talked about what he considered positive uh, results in the quarter. Services, remember, that's mostly driven by the App Store. All-time record revenue there, as well as he said all-time record revenue in wearables. That category includes the watch um, and AirPods. However, bottom line here, uh, Apple was surprised by some of these bigger, broader trends and themes and forced here to lower that Q1 guidance. And you can see investors reacting in the after hours. Guys, back to you. Josh, stay with me. I want to bring in Squawk Alley's John Fort to join the conversation now. Uh, John, you, you followed Apple for an awfully long time. You look at tech broadly. What do you make of what Apple had to say tonight? Well, Scott, there are very few moments like this that we've seen with Apple. I mean, I think back to uh, 2001, 
um, 2000, I guess September 2000, when, when they had a bad quarter. You know, there have been broader macro times w- when they've had issues, but this is different, Scott, because I think this is uh, about a seven billion dollar top line miss, and we're focusing a lot on Greater China. There's good reason for that, but Greater China at just shy of 20 percent of Apple's revenue. If you look back uh, a year ago, Q1. Uh, that was about $18 billion. This doesn't sound like a 40% miss just in greater China. Tim Cook and Apple are also pointing to some other broader issues that I think investors need to keep in mind. He talked about the lack of subsidies uh, for phones. That's not new. I mean, carriers uh, in, in developed markets haven't been doing subsidies in the old style for years now. But Apple with the 10 line, now you've got the 10s Max, 10s, and 10R. The phones are more expensive. So that combined with a strong dollar uh, and combined with customers trying to extend the useful life of phones by replacing the batteries instead of upgrading seems to be creating kind of this, this really challenging mix, not just having to do with China, but also in some developed markets, the customer not wanting to upgrade as much. That's something that some analysts have been saying for a while, a little on the, on the bearish side. That seems to actually be playing out now that we're seeing this iPhone 10 cycle come to fruition. I think the question is, how much can Apple do about that? The, the non-10 iPhone, the iPhone 8 design, I guess, pretty much similar to the 6. Does Apple need to redesign more than just the high end of the phone now that they're encountering this price sensitivity? Scott? Yeah. Josh, uh, forgive me for putting you on the spot um, for, for a moment. Any color at all on, were you with Cook uh, as the stock reopened? Uh, he, he must have had an idea that it, the, the stock chart was going to look ugly uh, right from the get-go once the stock did reopen after its halt. Yes, Scott, I, w- I was not with um, Tim Cook when the stock opened there, so I couldn't gauge his reaction. Um, you know, listen, I'm sure Cook um, has been in this company a long time. Of course, before he was a CEO, he was the company's supply chain guru. I'm sure he had some thoughts about how traders and investors would react. Um, the bottom line is, Scott, I, I simply think they, they, there were some trends and themes, as John was just talking about, that were worse than they anticipated. Um, certainly when it comes to China, um, the economy worse there than he may have thought. The trade tensions having an impact in a way um, he hadn't anticipated. Um, and also in developed markets, as John was referencing there as well, the upgrades not as strong as they thought. Um, so I'm not sure. So I wasn't with him when the stock opened, but I'm sure he had a pretty good idea what was coming. Yeah, he, mu- he, must have, uh, he must have known it was going to be uh, rather ugly. John Ford, I- I'd imagine uh, the gang on Squawk Alley tomorrow morning is going to be looking at more broad tech issues, perhaps, as a result of what you just got from Apple. Some of the other big names, the supply chain, which is going to take a big hit, in fact, already is uh, in the after-hour session. Some of these other large large cap technology stocks that are going to be uh, under some serious pressure. We will, Scott. And and, uh, the likes of HP, for example, some of the hardware players were already very much uh, in the crossfire of this trade dispute. And I would also point out that Qualcomm, in its most recent earnings, did point out some of these same China issues around smartphone uptake. Now, while the customer in China is more migrating toward premium end phones, which should benefit Apple. There's also a bit of an overall demand challenge in China. Now, for a long time, we've tended to talk about Apple as being a market unto itself. In this environment, that seems to perhaps be less the case than it might have been in the past. So I think maybe we will be reading across more into what we see trend-wise 
from Qualcomm, from other uh, players in China, and reading through not just the supply chain for smartphones, but also what the broader impact might be. Are other companies seeing the same kind of dramatic effect on demand in greater China, or perhaps is Apple uniquely impacted to the downside, which is something that we haven't tended to see with them in recent years. Yeah, John Ford, Josh Lipton, our thanks to you both. We're showing the uh, supply chain right now, some of that stock activity in the after hours, and those names are down sharply. Let's add another voice to the conversations. Kara Swisher, uh, well known to all of you, of course, of Recode. Kara, you there? Hi, yeah, I'm here. You want to put this into perspective, somebody who's followed this company in this space for an awfully long time? Yeah, there's a lot going on here. Obviously, China's at the top of the line. I mean, the market in China and the pressures in China. And Apple is one of the the successes of Apple was being successful in China. And so they're seeing the downside of a market that's contracting there. The second thing is the lack of products. You know, the, the, the innovation cycle has slowed down in Apple. I just replaced my iPhone just last week uh, and my kids, but I didn't rush towards it. It just was on, we were on the, on the upgrade system. So I think there's not a, exciting products. And that's, that's one of the part is where is the new innovations coming out of the mobile market? And this is primarily iPhones, I think, is what you're seeing here. Um, and then it's the pressures of all these trade talks and, and the market itself being so, uh, so hard for companies. And so you're going to see this impact on companies like Apple, who are big consumer products companies, essentially. And then throughout tech, uh, going forward, was where is the innovation cycle for the next great group of products? And is there the economy to support it? You know, Kara, Tim Cook has always, in some respects, had to you know, fight his way out of, out of Steve Jobs' shadow uh, amid, yeah. amid, you know, megaphone calls that, that he's not innovating enough uh, and that he's not leading the company enough into the future, that it's so reliant uh, mm-hmm. on the iPhone, even though their services business, as we both know, is, is growing dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, does that get uh, underscored on, on a mm-hmm. night like tonight? No. No, I don't think so. I think it, you know they've done really well since that. And Steve Jobs has been gone a long time. Uh, it was a tragedy when he died, obviously. And um, but I think he, he's been doing a great job with the company since then, running at the company. But I think all of these companies. Whenever someone the other day was asking about Apple, and I said it's the product cycle. Like, where is their exciting new product, and where are their exciting new entrepreneurs within that company? I mean, they, this group has been together a long time, and I'm not meaning to call them old. It's just they've had so many hits. You're kind of, uh, I always, you know, you think of them as like this amazing rock band who's just been doing the hit after hit after hit. And so they've got to see what, the, what is the new product coming in and, and is there one from this group? And at the same time, the stuff that Tim Cook has done with that company is just is astonishing in terms of running the company and making it, you know, such an enormous uh, economic powerhouse. But, you know, they're going to, they're, like anyone else, reality hits when something in China is going wrong or the economy or there's trade talks. They're not immune from this unless they had the product everybody has to have. Hey, Carrie, you know, there's a lot of blame being placed right now on China. But when you think about uh, services, Tim Cook's trying to spend a lot of time in that interview mm-hmm. on services. When you think about services, and you think about maybe a quarter of their services annually come from uh, Google and their traffic acquisition, and then maybe about a third from Apple Care. Isn't that exciting of a business? Um, you know, I just don't get it, especially with a slowing uh, user base. Well, no, people use these things. I don't think that, you listen, that's a lot of money, right? Why would you turn that down? And these, these, you know, Apple and Google and all these companies are very melded together because it's an entire service, right? Like everything works together. Um, I think what you have to think about is, is like I had lunch with Tim not too long ago. And he talked a lot about AR. So but where is that right now? It's a long time away. When is AR, this is augmented reality coming? Um, when are some of the other, you know, when are these services going to get even bigger? Where, where, where are their sweet spots for the future? And where is technology? I'm writing about this this week in the New York Times, so I'm thinking about it a lot. 
Um, where is innovation coming from, from not just Apple, from Google, from every one of these companies? The only one that seems to be consistently innovative recently has been Amazon, um, which is always coming out with something really interesting. And, and, and they're getting, you know, they're still getting hit here in this, this, this sell-off and everything else. So, uh, you know, I don't know where innovation is coming from. A lot of it is coming from China. And, and when you have the economy tanking in there in some ways, uh, you're, just gonna, you're all going to be pulled down by this. Should we be focusing more on, on the company's fight with Qualcomm uh, as well, which we really haven't discussed it in any sort of great detail uh, this evening, but maybe it's having uh, much more of an impact uh, in and of itself uh, than we've thought? I'm not so sure about that. I think that they've been in fights with lots of people at Oracle and others for a long time. Not Oracle, I'm sorry. Uh, but it's, it's uh, you know, I think the, the bigger issues is what is the pro- what is the great product and how is the economy faring? Apple is a, is, is a company that does well in a strong economy because people have money to spend it's a more expensive products. They're selling products as opposed to free services or depending on advertising. And that was a big thing Tim talked about is we are not in the advertising business, which is a plus when it comes to the problems Facebook is facing, right? Um, but it's a minus when it comes to people making spending decisions, and, and it's, it's an expensive product. And so if they, if they don't have the newest, hottest product, they have to sort of rely on people replacing and replenishing and things like that. So I think that's where the problems really are, is, is right what, they, what they're saying. Yeah, you had, you had one analyst tonight say, uh, in his words, it was a dark day for Apple. Carrie, you have to wonder if this is one of those moments that, you know, months, if not years from now, you're going to look back mm-hmm. on it and remember this night. It's hard to remember a time where Apple made a revenue cut of, of this magnitude and dropped such a bomb uh, on the market. Yep. Yeah, definitely. This is a company we expect nothing but, you know, rainbows and unicorns from all the time, right? They never disappoint, and they always out, outgun them. You know, they always win. And so I think when this, it's a part of a broader tech question, is, is, this the, is this the time when tech starts to falter again? All these companies, their advertising businesses, whether they're product businesses, and, and again, where does the next great wave come from? And I think that's what's interesting to me, is, is, is that idea yeah. uh, of what is, what is the next, you know, mobile has taken us a long way and made a lot of people really wealthy, right? And made a lot of investors really wealthy. So mobile is being played out. So when is the next what is the next innovation cycle that's going to do what mobile did? And that's been what? It's been since 2004, 2004. That's 15 years of up, up, up kind of stuff. Kara, stay with me, uh, if you would. Uh, okay. The futures have been sure. open for about a minute, uh, excuse me, uh, since the top of the hour, about 30 minutes. I uh, just want to recap of where we stand right now. Uh, there's your picture. Uh, futures thinly traded. Not a lot of volume, uh, as you know. I just want to underscore that uh, so you don't think that this is the gospel that you're looking at. And this is the way that the market's going to open in the morning. Uh, but right now, the Dow would open. Apple, a Dow component. Apple would open lower by about 300 points. That is uh, off the worst levels uh, of this early session. Of course, there's the S&P 500. We showed you the NASDAQ, uh, which you might expect could be getting hit a little bit harder because of the tech-heavy weighting uh, of the NASDAQ. Kara, I've got the gang here. I'm sure everybody wants to get in on this conversation with you as well, Tim. Hey, Kara, it's Tim Seymour. So my, my question would be, we debate all the time whether the, the Chinese market mm-hmm. is really ready for a $1,000 phone. Can you discuss your view on either philosophically or demographically whether they're sure barking up the wrong tree? No, they're not. They've been doing great in China for a long time. It's just not now, right? I mean, I think it's, they, they, China's embraced Apple products for a long time. And so this is a lot. They've been there how many? Forever, right? Compared, and most American companies don't do well. In, I think they're the only one that are really deeply in China and making money there. You know, others contemplate it or they do badly. 
So they've been doing well. I think it's just that the market in China is contracting for all kinds of reasons, including these trade talks, which have hit, which have hit everyone and is, are disastrous, really. And Tim Cook has talked about this as, a, as have other leaders, like what's going on with these trade talks. Um, and so they, they, they enjoyed the upswing, and now they're, you know, they're exposed here in a way that other companies aren't. And so you're going to see that. Um, and again, these upgrade cycles, like, like I, I literally just upgraded. I forget when the phone came out. Um, and I might not have done it had it, it had cost almost nothing. I had already paid off my phone. You know what I mean? I didn't rush to get it like I did previously because it wasn't that fresh, right? So that's another issue. Kara, um, I'm going to lobby a political question of sorts uh, in the way that you think about sort of the relationship between this administration and corporate America, specifically technology companies. Um, do you think the administration underestimated the impact of, of the trade war in China, maybe thinking that China was going to capitulate uh, sooner? Uh, how do you think about that question tonight when you see the impact of, of what Apple has told us? I think China can wait us out, and that's what they're doing. They're obviously being impacted, but China plays the long game, and I don't think the Trump administration plays, what, the four-second game? Like, I, you know, I think it's a really interesting problem. I, don't, I think it was thoughtless. It's been thoughtless on most of these things. All of them have been. And so the question, I mean, these corporate leaders have been warning about this. It's not that we shouldn't. Look, some people in Silicon Valley agree with the Trump administration around some of the incursions by China, some of the copyright stuff some of the trade stuff, but the way it's sort of the way it's been done has been disastrous for a lot of these companies. And, and especially the mood on Wall Street, when everyone starts saying the word recession, you kind of get to it, right? It's a mentality that builds. And you can't forget these are all emotional. Markets are emotional. And so I think the emotions have been, we're headed for trouble. And especially with the, the rhetoric that comes out of Donald Trump every day on Twitter, which I wrote about last week, he's governing by Twitter. Kara, it's been good having you. Thanks so much. Kara, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great having you. Kara Swisher, Recode, uh, joining us there uh, on the phone. Quick last comment here. No, it's really interesting what she's talking about. The lack of innovation is one thing that's not booing the stock now. You know, Apple has been in the past that innovative company, but now it's coming back to bite them. All right. Got a lot ahead. Stick around. We'll take a quick break. We're back into Apple down nearly 8% after hours. Welcome back. Breaking news gets you right to the futures. There's Apple. Apple shares are down nearly 8% in the after hours after that big revenue guide down. And there's the impact on the overall market. Apple is a Dow component. That stock, uh, the overall market, looks like it would open lower. Uh, of course, that's uh, thinly traded at this hour, but nonetheless gives you an idea of how uh, we could open uh, in the morning after Apple's warning. Carter Worth at the Plasma has three charts we need to pay attention to. Carter, what are they? Sure, let's start with the S&P. Now, you know, just staring at that, that's a long-term chart. And I've drawn those lines not to manipulate your eye, but just to put in context, really nothing's happened yet, meaning we've just started if one wants to make a very unhappy case for equities. This is uh, the great run of mid-1990s to the peak in uh, 2000. We peaked on the 24th of March. It was a Friday. And you see that after we broke trend, it got pretty unhappy. This, of course, is the big run-up again, and we peaked in 2007. And after we broke trend, it got pretty unhappy. These are both 50% um, sell-offs. Now, it's inconvenient, but we have just um, broken trend. 
those circles are each 20% down at point at which I drew it. We're 20%, we know that from the peak to trough. Really nothing's happened. If one wanted to put in that third red arrow, it would sort of look like that. Anyway, uh, food for thought. Let's move on to gold and then uh, one other chart. Now, there's a lot of tension here, and you can see it. Uh, I've drawn lines to maybe manipulate your eye, but just to show that we've worked into a point where something explosive is about to happen. There are plenty of people who believe that uh, gold's going to break down. But what we know is, having been within this basically well-defined formation for quite some time, we are working into the point where there's a likely resolution. I'm bullish. I think uh, gold resolves higher. It is also worth noting that the lows, equities are at a bull peak, and no one wants to talk about gold in 2000. Of course, gold peaks in 2011 when the stock market is uh, crashing after the U.S. debt downgrade, and now the standoff. A 50% retracement, my guess is the green arrow is the right arrow to draw. And then finally, this is all sort of thematic. Here we have really the, the mess that is China. And China is hovering ominously right at a well-defined line, and it's my bet that we're going to break. And that would also uh, then therefore get the red arrow. U.S. equity is presumptively lower. This could be a part of the U.S. equity, presumptive lower move. And gold, why not? Carter, thank you. Thank you. Carter Worth, uh, Cornerstone Macro, joining us. Mike Santoli is here as well, our senior markets commentator. He showed you the charts, but you think this is... Uh, broader than just China. Well, I think it's broader than just Apple and just China. So what's interesting is it, it's a little bit of a microcosm of what we have in the markets to some degree, right? Apple stock down a ton. Um, obviously, the market was sniffing out fundamental weakness, but then when you get the reality of it and you get the, the revenue guide down and you get the, by tomorrow the inevitable further earnings estimate cuts, the question is how much has already been priced in. And I think right now, the after, who knows, Apple could, could finish higher tomorrow. We don't know exactly where it's going to go. But I think this is the fix that the overall market is in to some degree. And it doesn't have to resolve in a nasty way. Who knows what the, uh, what the forward chart's going to look like. But when people say, as a lot of people are saying with their year-ahead outlooks, that the S&P has already priced in flat earnings or it's already priced in something close to a recession, that's easy to say right now. But the process of getting those earnings estimates coming down is messy. And so the market often doesn't necessarily get to that end point of pricing it in before you have some kind of uh, react, uh, confirmation. We, of that we've movement. gotten warnings from other companies, as we've discussed earlier, maybe the most recent being FedEx and Micron. Yeah. Do have to wonder whether this, in some respects, opens the floodgates now to more companies, more CEOs coming out and cutting their numbers as a result of the trade war and weakness in China and elsewhere. Or at least it removes that psychological impediment to try to deny it, right? I mean, oh, Apple's not immune. Who, you know, no, well, none of us are going to be immune. So, yes, I do think that might be what we're in for right now. But, again, you can't lose sight of the fact that the market has already made part of that adjustment. But Mike, do you, do you think the market, though, when we talk about China breaking apart, which I, I realize they've got a lot of money. I've said this for years. Yeah. They've got a trillion or a couple trillion dollars to paper over their problems. But the ECB is possibly pushing Europe into recession a lot faster than the Fed is to us. Where do you see systemic risks right now? Because I'm worried about Europe for what it's worth. Well, I mean, I, I think you could see them almost potential ones wherever you look. Um, I honestly am not even focused on that. I'm, I, I'm saying even if you don't have some kind of really bad accident in the financial markets where it is very systemic, uh, you still just have to price in this further fundamental uh, weakness, potentially. 
uh, again, I think this is the push-pull of the debate right now. Yeah. Because I think, you know, in a short-term basis, a lot of folks saw the action in the last couple of weeks of December and said, wow, we got really negative in a hurry. We concentrated a lot of selling into a short period of time. Let's see if, there, if this can pass a test, if that's some kind of a decent load to trade off of. This is going to challenge the possibility of that being Tim Cook tonight validated, in some respects, the folks who got negative quickly. Because Apple, in its own right, got more negative quickly. much quicker than people right. thought. That's right. Well, that's and when it when it kind of runs in reverse that way, that's that that's usually uh, the way it goes. So I think you're right. So what does it mean? Does it mean that the market is not going to kind of give the benefit of the doubt that in fact uh, bad earnings are priced in or something weaker uh, is priced in? So we're 14.4 times forward earnings for the S&P right now. That's if you get the, the almost 8 percent growth that is now the consensus. Uh, now that seems to, high. It that seems high. If you get three percent growth, you're up to 15 times earnings, which you know you probably would say is not that cheap, uh, especially if you think the market is a 25 basis point, you know, potential Fed error from people freaking out again. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Fed and a possible error, let's bring in Joe Lavornia, uh, who's been writing and who's been talking a lot about the Fed lately. Uh, Joe, does this seal the deal? This keeps the Fed uh, no more hikes for the foreseeable future. Scott, I wish I could say yes, but boy, th- th- this Fed has just gotten so many things wrong, and hope, as you guys know, is not a good investment strategy. My guess is the markets are going to continue to punish the Powell-led Fed, lower prices, wider credit spreads, and eventually the Fed will relent. The question is when. The longer it goes, the sentiment can certainly feed on itself. Uh, when you have a, an economy where the financial sector is over four times the size of GDP, what the markets do is very important because very self-feeding and self-sustaining. If Powell is dovish on Friday, I think the markets could stabilize, but they really need to reverse course on this balance sheet and on projected hikes. And if they do that, Scott, then the fundamentals will reassert themselves. I just don't have a lot of confidence in Powell because what he's done recently is sort of flip-flop a lot. So the answer is I don't know. But, but, but when the once biggest company on planet Earth, uh, not that long ago, comes out and and cuts a revenue forecast as dramatically as as Apple has done, that has to get the Fed's attention. But, Scott, it should. But, you know, these guys tend to be ivory tower folks. Uh, Look, you've got a a $10 trillion treasury market where the curve is, is, some parts of the curve are inverted, and the Fed says that doesn't matter. So, yes, anecdotally, Apple's certainly very important. Uh, China's weak. And, by the way, as you guys know, the the U.S. equity market and growth was doing great through September, and then everything kind of unwound. Finally, they caught up to what the Fed was doing. Uh, So these anecdotes have sort of been there, but I just feel that this Fed is, is too model-driven, Scott, and I, I think that's going to be their undoing. But the so, Fed, uh, they, they've said publicly, uh, in whether it was Jay Powell or whether uh, it was Williams with Leesman in the days that followed that, that they had seen no sort of broad impact from this trade fight with China. Now they've gotten their real evidence uh, from a company like Apple, which which is one of the biggest consumer brands on earth. It, it, it is. But here's the thing. They'll highlight trade as a risk, and Apple is certainly part of the China story. But they're looking at low unemployment. They're going to look at a decent payroll number. And my guess, and this is the wrong view, but my guess is they're going to say, look, the U.S. economy is still good. The fundamentals are solid. We don't need to panic yet. And this ultimately, Scott, would be classic Fed decision-making where it's too little, too late. It's, it's a little bit like, you know, you look at tech, you go back to the late 2000s, 
2000s. In November 2000, the Fed had a tightening bias in place. They went to an easing bias five weeks later, and then Greenspan cut intermeeting two weeks after that. So it's not unprecedented for the Fed to lag the markets. And you're right, they should follow what these companies are saying because it's real information. But they don't have a very good history of doing that. Hey, Joe, it's Brian Kelly. So I'm curious, if Powell comes out on Friday, what would you consider a kind of a dovish view? Does he need to walk back the, the quantitative tightening, the balance sheet talk, or does he know you need to go so far as saying we're questioning whether or not we're even going to raise two times in 2019? All of that would be great. I don't, if they do anything, I don't, he won't do that in my opinion. I, what he would say and what would be prudent is say, in light of the recent and dramatic tightening in financial conditions – we will take this into consideration when we next meet. That's all he has to do. So you've got shops out there who think they're going four or five times because they're Phillips Curve fanatics. They could say, well, maybe it's not four, maybe it's two. People like me who don't think they should hike and they think they should ease, they'll be happy. I think he's got to keep it very broad. But you know, I don't know if he's going to do that because he could have said two weeks ago at the meeting the drop in commodities and oil and lower inflation gave them the leeway to be really dovish, and he wasn't. So I don't, you know, I have a feeling just, I, maybe I'm a cynic, but I, I don't think he'll do that, but he just needs to do something. But, you know, he's with Yellen, he's with Bernanke, it's probably going to be pretty consensual, and my guess is he's going to give us a whole lot of nothing, especially if the data on Friday are good, which I'm guessing they will be. So, Joe, it's Tim. Um, so back to the Fed and what they target. I mean, there's a time which the Fed was really targeting asset prices in this country, and, and they really wanted to get them up. They got them up. Um, and I, I think one of your core views is that this is really where you sit on the precipice of a major pullback when, in fact, uh, you know, asset prices are at this much of a cycle high going into a pullback. Yeah, well, you had the genius of Bill Dudley in September when equities were down about 10% saying it was effectively a, a tempest in a teapot. And, uh, you know, Bill's a nice guy, but he represents, to my mind, the way the board staff thinks about things. So, I mean, the, I just feel as if, you know, the, the, the Fed is very model-driven. Uh, they're very focused on, uh, on output gaps in slack. And when you get to economic inflection points, all that stuff you could throw out the, throw out the door. It's just all about sentiment. And sentiment, as we're seeing, can change very rapidly. And Brian's point about the balance sheet is key. I mean, you look at last week, you guys saw it a few weeks ago, when Powell said it was an automatic pilot, S&Ps dropped like 20, 20 points within a second. So, I mean, that's the thing. I just don't think they, they fully get it. And, well, um, Williams, Williams did his best to try and walk that back. Uh, two he days did a later. Bit, but you know what, though, Scott? It's a, one, it's a little bit too late, and he's not the chair. That's the problem. They want to hear from Powell. They, this is a leadership. They want to hear from the Fed chair. They don't want to hear from, from an important Fed president. They want to hear from somebody who's actually perceived to be the person that drives yeah, no, policy. Your, your point's well taken. Guy has a and question. Joe, real for quick, you. what was the model for eight years when they were keeping interest rates? It's, nobody seemed to care that they weren't model driven when they kept interest rates at zero and let the stock market go up every day. I mean, it, I guess my question is at what point. Do they have to sort of let the stock market stand on its own two feet and actually get us to levels where, forgetting about us today, you know, the future of our dollar, in my opinion, is at risk when you have a Fed that's been accommodative in, in many ways. Um, I, I think, well, not corrupt, but, I mean, they just threw caution at the wind for eight years. Yeah, well, incompetence is probably the word you were thinking of, guys. Well, but, I didn't want to say that, but yes. Well, no, but, but, it's, but, no, but, I mean, it's, look, Fed doesn't have a good track record. But the point is, the, the, so the reason they were instead? so accommodative was because unemployment peaked at 10% in the fourth quarter of 2009 and came down. And it was only been the last few years where the unemployment rate's been below where they think the economy is capable of generating unemployment without inflation that they've gotten worried. So, again, it's this unemployment and it's this flawed view, which I harp on time 
time and time again, low unemployment does not cause inflation. Mr. Powell, please, I hope you're listening. Yeah. Hey, hey, Joe, we just spent the last five minutes talking about the Fed. But when you think back to what just Apple just told us, how important is this trade situation and getting it resolved soon? It's important. But to me, it's just the icing on the cake. Both, you know, business cycles are all about liquidity and confidence, and that's always determined by the Fed. So the trade stuff, if, it, if you get some type of uh, intermediary uh, truce of some sort, sense, because I don't think it'll last, that'll help. But the Fed has to back away. And also, you guys mentioned earlier about the ECB. I mean, you know, you've got a few things happening all at the same time. I mean, the ECB not buying securities and the Italians going into the, uh, into the public markets for the first time in years, that could cause some big dis location. So to me, the trade stuff's important, but this is really, in my mind, all about central banks. All right, Joe, thank you very much. Joe Lavornian at Texas joining us there uh, for his reaction this evening. We'll talk to you again soon. Our Michael Santoli, we will see you on the air tomorrow. I am certain of that. We are going to step away. We'll take a quick break. It is the question of the night. What to do with those shares right there? Apple, is this a golden opportunity to buy that stock? Your first trade is next. We're back with breaking news. Apple's stunning revenue warning having a major impact on futures at this very moment. The Dow looking lower by more than 370 points. There's the S&P 500 down by 37 points. NASDAQ down by 160. Yes, it is early. Yes, it is thinly traded and the volume may be light, but sentiment clearly not good after that stunner from Apple. Speaking of critical stock for the entirety of the asset management business, our Leslie Picker looking into that. Back at our headquarters. Hey, Les. Hey, Scott. That's right. The asset management industry will be closely watching Apple's moves at the open tomorrow. As you mentioned, it's a critical stock for the entirety of the industry. Some of the stock's largest holders include Vanguard, BlackRock, State Street, and Fidelity, which owned more than $130 billion worth of Apple's stock at the end of the third quarter when the latest disclosures took place. If the stock opens down 8% tomorrow, I'm rounding up here, that amounts to losses of about $10 billion for those four firms alone. Those firms, of course, manage passive instruments like index funds and ETFs. So those numbers include their passive investments as well. Those may slip, though, because Apple makes up such a large weighting in the S&P, NASDAQ, Dow. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway owned about $40 billion. That position has actually shrunk from $57 billion over the su- summer as the stock price declined. But if the stock opens lower by 8% tomorrow, Berkshire Hathaway is looking at losses of about $3 billion in one day alone. At the end of the third quarter, Goldman Sachs said that Apple appeared as a top 10 holding in 27 hedge funds. Among the largest holders, include Millennium Management, Co2, Tiger Global, Citadel, and Point72. Those positions are as of the end of September based on most recent disclosures and have likely changed since then. But it's worth noting Apple's timing here, releasing these numbers on the first trading day of the year, meaning that funds that book their performance at the end of the year won't be including these losses. Guys. Leslie, thank you very much. Uh, it is worth talking about. You mentioned Buffett earlier. Berkshire Hathaway, I mean... Between the Apple decline to IBM. end 2018, well, the IBM thing is well known. The slide in the banks in some of those stocks, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, 
Um, maybe worth looking at Berkshire Hathaway shares as well, and a, a story to talk about in, in the days ahead, too. Yeah, and I'm yeah. trying to find its cost. I think Doug Cass tweeted out that Buffett's cost in Apple is 146 or so. I haven't verified that. If Doug put it out, it's probably true. So effectively right here, that doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter where you're long, in my opinion. It only matters where it's going. But to your point, you know, he seems maybe he has, well, I shouldn't say that, but maybe he's lost a little off the old fastball. Yeah, I mean, he's been known to make some bad bets before Exxon, IBM, all in the last five years. And he, and he actually takes losses, which is I'm a not, good I, lesson and for I'm investors. not suggesting any, anything at all uh, to your comment about his investing prowess. I'm just simply saying it as a matter of fact of well, some of the biggest positions so, that Berkshire Hathaway has yeah. had have not done well to end the year and now with Apple to begin 2019. I think it is something my, to, to, to at the very least note. Yeah, and what's also notable is that Apple is considered as bulletproof of a stock for pension funds to own. And I'm just looking at some of the holders of, of Apple right now. I mean, the New York State Retirement System owns about $3 billion worth of stock on an $86 billion outstanding you know, asset base. So that's a massive move. And by the way, they also own Berkshire Hathaway. So, I mean, there's a compounded effect for something like Berkshire because, again, that's another one of these stocks that a lot of very defensive pension fund yield-driven uh, investors, and this is not a good time for them. And they suffered a lot of losses already. we got less than two minutes uh, to go in, in our program tonight. What do you tell people to look for tomorrow? You, got, you have to look for some kind of a capitulation day. So let's say we open up on the Dow down 350, as the futures are indicating now. Maybe we head a little bit lower, and then the market rips higher on some kind of news. That's what I'd look for. I think you wait until they actually put the report out. I think that it's important to remember there was just a few pieces of data about this. Um, and, you know, we want to see what the guidance is for the next quarter here. So I don't think you buy it until they report Jan 31, their fiscal Q1 results. Hasn't Apple made it easier for a lot of other companies to come forward now? I mean, I, I think, you know, we were waiting for, for, for fourth quarter earnings. I don't think we need to wait. Um, and I know that's been brought up tonight. Mike made a great point that maybe it's taken the panic effect away. But I, I think the guidance here and consensus earnings have to come in, not just for Apple. Would you would you buy Apple here or no? You know, I own some Apple and, and I have to say around 146, 145, which is where we're trading. It looks pretty darn interesting. But no, I don't need to do anything with Apple right now. Let's, this stock is not going to get away from you. Um, we've gotten two. We've gotten an increasingly more bearish outlook from a company within two months. I think you have to hang out. The summer of 2015, Apple, the stock topped out around 127 and a half, 128. It just feels as if that's what it wants to retest in this the key environment. Level, by the and way. quickly, in terms of what I'd look quickly. for, BK mentioned and yep. Sarah Eisen, the currency moves right. are staggering. All right, guys, thank you. Thanks so much for watching. We pick it up tomorrow, Worldwide Exchange, 5 a.m. Catch us on CNBC.com. Until then, deal or no deal begins right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.